Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now, here's your host. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of All Autism Talk, the podcast brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading provider in ABA services across the country. This week, I had an opportunity to sit down with Mo Booty, who is an educational advocate and instructional expert for people with autism. Mo and I spent a lot of time talking about the IEP process and also some specific to-dos and how-tos for navigating the IEP process with your local team. The thing I really like about this conversation is we also talk about the communication needed to be successful with your team and how to collaborate with all the individuals and all the professionals that make up your IEP team. I hope you enjoy and learn a lot from this conversation with Mo Booty. Hi Mo, thanks so much for being here. So we we have a lot to talk about today. And for a lot of our families, they are either getting ready to be in this process, they're in this process, or they're just not aware of it. But we really, I want to help them out. Tell us a little bit about the IEP process and kind of all of what goes into it. Sure. You got a few days now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, your IEP is super important to your individual educational plan. Um, So any student that is eligible for special education will have an IEP and you'll have your home meeting uh, once a year, unless you want to have it more often, um, you can request an IEP meeting or someone on the team can. If you want to update information, if something is just not working, um, if you need more services, So this IEP is this legal document filled with a lot of confusing stuff, and it's really good to be able to understand it. Um, IEPs will have your present levels of performance. So you're going to want to make sure there's a lot of really uh, detailed information about what can your child do, what do they need help with, uh, where are their deficits, and how they learn. And then this document has um, all your accommodations that your child needs, and it'll have all of your services. They'll have specific minutes connected to the services. And then these goals, these measurable goals that each clinician or special ed teacher will be working on with your child and taking data in order to see if what they're doing is working to make sure the child's making progress. That's the whole kind of reason for having an IEP is so that we know that what we're doing for a child is working and we're helping the child make progress. That's so great. And there's so much to that. We're going to peel back some of those layers. Okay. Um, But first, you know, when I think about an IEP team, you know, even before the meeting, it's, it's a, it's a team of people that come together, right? Who are some of the people involved in this team decision-making and, and who can families expect to be a part of this process? Yeah, because it can be a little intimidating. You walk into this room, you're like, ah, who are all these people? Even though you will get what's called a notice of conference, which is basically an invite, which tells you everyone who's um, going to be in attendance. And um, you will always have something that's called either a district rep or an LEA. That's basically someone who's responsible at the district level who can commit to services. 
That way, while you're at the table, if you need, if the child needs a paraprofessional or a placement in a different school or, or a bus transportation, there always has to be somebody that's signed in as the district representative. It could be a principal, it could be a case manager, it could be a special ed director. So that person will always be there. Then you'll always have your special education teacher and at least one general education teacher. Um, some children have more than one if they go to different classes, but only one is required to be there. And then any related service provider. And a related service provider can be a speech therapist, an OT, occupational therapist, a PT, physical therapist, social worker, counselor, uh, psychologist, uh, who am I forgetting, ABA therapist, all these kind of um, extra people that help the teacher, the special ed teacher, and the child in order to make sure that they're making progress in game. And then the parent, of course, you'll be there. And then um, depending on the age of your child, the child can actually be there. Um, at a certain age, every state's a little bit different. Um, in Illinois, at 14 and a half, you have to be um, invited to your meetings. Um, but every state might have a little bit of a different age span. It's usually between 14 and 16. You have to be, you have to invite the actual child to the meeting. Um, but some parents have brought their kids even a little bit younger, really helps with that buy-in and knowledge of, of what people are and having your input as a child. Like, what do I like? What do, how do I learn? Um, what kind of things do I think I'm good at? What kind of things do I think I need more help with? So those are typically, I'm trying to think if I forget anyone else. Those are, those are typically the, the, the people you will see at the table. And, and the parents can actually invite whoever they want. So you can invite your neighbor, you can invite your mom, your mom, your, um, both parents can be there. You can invite a friend, an advocate, a lawyer. You can really bring whoever you need to bring so you can have what the law says, meaningful participation in the meeting. Mm. So if there's someone you um, think has knowledge of your child or knowledge of even special education that will help you, you're allowed to bring them. Uh, can you explain more what you mean by meaningful participation? I think that's uh, yeah. so valuable for people. Yes, and it's actually in the legal language. Um, so it says parents must have meaningful participation. So uh, some ways that we're doing that is we are providing um, a draft of the IEP before the meeting. So you can actually read and digest um, some of it before I say you could play who wants to be a millionaire. Because if you have that draft, guess what you can do? You can Google search those words. You don't know what they mean. You can ask a friend. You can you know, call a friend or you can email it to someone who might have some expertise in the field, give you some input. So that's one way where a parent can really have meaningful um, participation because they understood it a little bit before they came into the meeting. Um, it also means meaningful participation means that the parent has or has the right to um, give their input and it has to be considered. Um, so if there are things that you want, there's part of the IEP that actually is um, called, every state might have it different. Some say parent concerns, which really kind of breaks my heart because it's really supposed to be parent input or concerns. Um, 
So you'll, you might see it written a different, a few different ways, but that's really when you have the opportunity to say, here are all the things I'm worried about. Here are the things I, I'm happy with. And here are the things I'd like to see maybe more different. And the, the team actually has to consider everything you're saying and somehow address it. So it doesn't mean just because you ask, you're going to get it, but it means they have to consider it and then explain their rationale, whether they're giving it or not. So it might be simply based on this data, and they might show the data, we believe your child's um, needs are being met with the current level of service. Or they might say, um, parent requested an additional 100 minutes a week, and based on the data, we considered adding an extra 20 minutes or something. So somehow they have to address it, and it really should be documented for both the schools, um, kind of you know showing that they're making an effort and for the parents so you can so you can demonstrate you know what you have asked for and what you believe your child needs so that's pretty much meaningful participation really means we want to give you the tools um, to first of all understand what's going on so if you have questions they need to be answered if the time if they only gave you an hour for the meeting and you have a a lot more questions will then they have to reconvene and do an, do another meeting um, or go longer if they can. You know, it depends on staff availability, but um, it really is you should be an equal partner in um, in the IEP process. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that's such an important thing. You know, it's so overwhelming to walk into the meeting. You know, you're with a variety of different professionals and it's so easy to feel bombarded with acronyms and terminologies and minutes and pages and sign here and don't sign here. It's so easy yeah. to get overwhelmed. And so yeah. definitely want parents to feel empowered to be uh, to know that they're a part of the team. Right. They're they're a part of the team. They're a big part of. The yeah. Team. They're and some some states have a law um, that you have to get a draft three days before the meeting. Illinois just started that um, recently, uh, August 2019. If you are in a state that doesn't require it, ask for it anyways. Um, the worst they can say is, I won't have it three days before, but I can give it to you the day before. It's better than nothing because I love to have a paper version of it printed out and read it. And I say, take two colored highlighters. One is highlight anything you don't think is accurate or doesn't accurately reflect what you think your child can do. And then the other color, I highlight things that I just don't understand what it means, right? So then when you're going through the IEP, um, those things will stick out. So you can either ask your questions or make your comments. Um, so I find that a very helpful strategy for parents to um, when they're at their meetings. Yeah, that's great. That's a really great idea. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned before, and you started talking about accommodations. And this is something that comes up so often for families. What's the difference between a modification and an accommodation? Yeah, so the accommodation evens the playing field. The modification changes the playing field. <laughs> so an accommodation might be I'm slower at processing information, so they're going to accommodate me by giving me more time. If I need a modification, they're going to give me less work or they're going to change the content of the work. So modifying is if you're really changing the content, changing, like it's changing the playing field. 
the, the accommodations can be provide a visual support, provide a visual schedule, provide a scribe, like I'll say, or the child says it, someone writes it. Um, I mean, there's so an exhaustive list of accommodations, right. but um, that's the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I, I want to say it back to make sure I'm understanding it as well. A modification is in essence, changing the standard or changing, um, changing what is required right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But an accommodation could be sitting in a different room to take a test or yep. uh, extra time with assignments or. Yeah. Yeah. Like yep. Definitely. And, and children can get both. Um, even something as simple as maybe a child who um, for homework, you can get a modified homework. So maybe instead of 20 math problems, you only have to do 10 because maybe your child, once they know it, they know it. So why have to do 20 or maybe just homework is really difficult after a full day of school and that causes a lot of anxiety or just very, or maybe they have a lot of therapy after school and then they don't have a ton of time then to do homework. So that can be modified by having less homework, less problems. Like maybe they'll say, just do the odd problems or just do the even, Um, but accommodating that would say, oh, you have an extra day before you have to turn it in. So that would be the Great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important for parents, again, to just be communicative with their IEP team and, and um, you know, with the person who's overseeing their, mm-hmm. their child's education, because it's those things are such, there's such a huge impact. You know, if, if you're going to school all day and then you're coming home and you have various therapies in the afternoon, you're not going to have time to do homework. You're not going right. to have time to complete some of those assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's just one example, right? Yeah, and and you just made a great comment about the um, communication with the, um, it depends on what state you're in, the case manager or your, you know, the lead on your case, um, the special ed teacher, whoever's kind of the lead, the case manager, um, is so great to be in, communi- often communication with, but really the whole team. I can't tell you how important it is to really build your team and um, and communicate often. Find out what's the best way to communicate. Is it via email? Do we have like a quick call on Fridays? Do you send home a communication log? Like what is the best way for you to receive communication and to give communication? And then same with the team. What is the best way for them? Um, I've had schools do some really creative things. They'll create a uh, Google form so it's a live document right. and the entire team has access and the parent. And then they have a ta- they have tabs on the bottom so the parent can be writing in live time and, and maybe something the child did that was so awesome. They're like, oh, I want to tell the parent, Shoot, just go in and put on that Google form or vice versa, something that was really challenging. Um, so I found the those Google Docs and Google Forms are really, really nice. I know some do the... Still do the paper notebooks back and forth. Uh, they're a little more time consuming for, for both parties. But, um, and, and I even have some teachers that'll say, hey, I'm going to give you a quick call every Friday. And what time is good for you? And we just have to be mindful of um, knowing that the teacher and the therapist have a caseload, right? So we do have to be mindful of how often we're re- requesting this, this communication. It's super important 
Um, but we just need to be mindful of their time too, because you want them to be in the classroom teaching your child and providing therapy and everything. So I just ask parents sometimes just to be mindful of that. And, and that's why I think of what's the most user-friendly way to communicate as well. That's why sometimes the written notebook is not the best way because you really want to sit down and write it. And then you're like, oh, the bus is coming. Ah, how am I going to get 10 of these notebooks done? So um, yes, just think creatively about what's what's the uh, best way to receive and give communication and what's kind of the most efficient way as well. Yeah. When, when I, as you're describing that, I'm thinking about when I was a teacher and I had a notebook for each one of my students. Oh yeah, me too. We wouldn't write notes back and forth and we didn't write every day. And, you know, and parents didn't respond every day either. And that was certainly okay, but it was just one of the ways for us to say, oh man, this is what's going on at home. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we're having, we're having uh, medication changes and that may impact sleep and it may impact the school day. Great. It's great for us to know. So we can be so important for the school to know. I always say how you receive the child in the morning is really going to tell you how their day is going to be. So if I don't know he was up all night (laughs) and I might be pushing him a little bit harder that day and think he's maybe being, you know, having a challenge of some, but don't know why. Right. Or, um, or if I know that, you know, the, the alarm went off in your house or something scary and they maybe don't have like the communication to be able to tell me that to know that is, is so helpful for the school staff to be able to really make sure they're meeting that child's needs on that day and vice versa. If there's a fire drill at school and you know, you have, um, you're working with a child that's not really good with fire drills. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to, if I can tell them ahead of time, I will do that as well. Um, Cause they can maybe prepare the child with a social story or uh, a pre pre uh, letting them know, like you're going to have a fire drill today, but if you come home and it, and you did a great job during the fire drill, we're going to have like some special time or something. So yeah, it's really important both ways to communicate those, um, those things that could affect behavior and mood. And um, yeah, so I, I I love when teams are good at communicating. It's so funny. I was in a school today and I heard this teacher um, walking out to her class to go to lunch. She goes, Oh, I got to text that parent. And I thought, how cool is that? Like, she's just texting a parent yeah. and, you know, and back in the day, we, we didn't have that when, when I was a teacher and maybe when you were a teacher. So right. it's kind of cool that these, a lot of teachers are really big and knowing, even if it's just a little text, like, oh, he just did this great thing. I got to text the mom, you know? So I, yeah, communication is so key. That's great. I, you know, I, I, I like hearing that there's that all sorts of different modalities for parents. It doesn't have to be one way or another. Just make sure yeah. that it works for you and your team. Yep, definitely. things we've we've talked about the IEP right the individualized education plan um, as a document and sort of some of the pieces that are in the document but I want to switch and talk for a few minutes about the the meeting are there different types of IEP meetings and and what might those look like you know I'm thinking about there's an initial IEP meeting and then you know annuals and triannuals and (laughs) clear that up for us a little bit sure so um before you even get to have an IEP meeting 
you have to have somebody referring, uh, either the school is going to refer um, the child saying, hey, I think we need to evaluate the child. We, we suspect there's a disability. Or the home could say, hey, I really want you to evaluate my child because I suspect there's a disability. So anybody can make a um, referral to evaluate. Um, the district um, doesn't have to do it just because he asked. However, they have a timeline. Every state's a little different. It's usually around 14 days that they have to respond. And they can respond with, we don't, and it should be in writing, and they really should meet with you in person. Although sometimes it's a form that says, based on the current data and his grades and his attendance and all this stuff, we don't deem an evaluation appropriate at this time. Doesn't mean you can't ask again. Um, it doesn't mean you can't um, even file a, a sounds weird to say it, but a due process to say, you know, like, no, I, I believe my child requires um, an evaluation. But um, if either team gets it started and we say, yes, your child needs an evaluation, then you have to do this domain assessment planning meeting. Now, uh, first of all, everyone calls it something different. Some just call it domain meeting. Some call it assessment planning meeting. Some call it the meeting where we decide if we're going to evaluate or the consent meeting. So um, it's the meeting. And, and actually, the law doesn't require a meeting for this one. That's what's so interesting. Most districts do it. The law only says parents have to have input. Well, what's the best way to get your input? Hey, let's meet, right? So yeah. 99% of, of districts will say, yes, we're going to have a formal domain assessment planning meeting. Um, and then at that meeting, you're going to go through all these different domains and say, is this something relevant that might show us if the child has a known or suspected disability? And will this area bring some information to it? So there are things like vision and hearing, because that's always important to know if, if they have been screened for vision or hearing concerns. Um, there's health. There is um, a kind of a cognitive intellectual one, how, you, how children take in and learn information. Then there's an academic one. And then there's communication, um, usually a social emotional one and um, motor. And some have a, an additional one, like a functional um, performance. And so you literally go through all of those. And what you do is you think you, as a team, is this something relevant, not relevant? Then you write existing information. What do we already know with no evaluations about this area, about this child? And everyone can give input, the parent, the, the, the teacher. Um, and then the next column is, do we need additional information or is this enough? And especially if it's your initial one, more likely than not, you're going to say, yeah, we need some additional, we need some assessment information. So then you'll write now, they don't write the brand name of the test. I mean, some might, but you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to write, like, what is it? Am I doing, am I doing academic assessments for math and reading, uh, standardized assessments? Am I doing formal observations? Am I doing a data collection, uh, behavioral surveys? It'll kind of be more vague like that. They might actually verbally say, well, I use the BAC or I use the Wyatt. Um, they don't typically write the brand name in in there, but they they might, but it's not required. Um, and then at the end, if everyone agrees, then they ask you to sign consent. 
that consent starts the clock where they have 60 school days to complete all those assessments. People always say, do they have to wait 60 days? Well, I don't think they're actually waiting, but sometimes it actually takes that long because, well, they have a schedule and they're also providing services to children, but also based on the child's ability to be assessed by so many people, it might be too much in one day, in one week even. It depends on how the child responds to being maybe pulled out or their schedules change. Um, so they have to be really mindful of that. But once they're completed with their assessments, then they will set up what's called the eligibility meeting. Some call it the FIE, the full individual uh, evaluation meeting. Every state has their own lingo. It's, it's, it's kind of challenging because they do, but it's, it's, it's basically that meeting where you're going to go over all the results and then determine, does this child, based on this information, um, meet the criteria to be eligible under one of the disability labels in your state. My state has uh, 13. They vary between like 13 and 14 or 12 and 14 based on some are combined. Um, some combine some of them and, and some don't. But um, so this is a time too where some states uh, require those draft evaluations to go home three days before. Illinois just started that and I love it uh, because the evaluation uh, results are even harder to read than the IEPs. So it's so great to get those ahead of time. Um, so if not, I always just ask, right? Just ask, say, hey, can I get the drafts ahead of time? It'll really help me to kind of pre-read everything so I have a better understanding. So then you come to that meeting, you go over the results, you determine and, and this is a big um, kind of mistake people think like schools don't diagnose a child with a disability. They find them eligible for a category of eligibility. It is not a, um, a diagnostic um, disability. It's like not a medical diagnosis, for example. So autism, you can have a medical diagnosis or an educational eligibility. So it's a little bit uh, different if, if, for example, if your insurance needs an autism diagnosis, that would be a medical one because really schools just determine eligibility in a category. I want to pause you. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second because I think that's really important to highlight this. Uh, you know, I don't know if we said this already or not, but the IEP is specifically focused on students ability to make academic progress right yes. and it's educationally related and so if you're looking for other services outside of school the IEP may be a document that helps but it's yep. not going to be something that drives those other services so if you're getting other speech therapies or ABA therapies or things like that, you're going to need uh, medical diagnosis and probably medical paperwork as well. Just something for families to know um, yeah, that, and, that and there's that a goes, too. Definitely. And it goes vice versa. So sometimes parents will have clinical speech, clinical occupational therapy, clinical physical therapy, and then they don't understand, well, we get it at home. Why don't I get... PT, physical therapy at school. This is the easiest one to explain. So when we think about it like this, so therapy is only for accessing your educational environment. 
So you might get physical therapy for your child at home, but in school, they literally say, can they get up and down the stairs? Can they get in and out of their desk? Um, can they maneuver throughout the school in the way that their non-disabled peers do um, or with accommodations? Or do they need explicit instruction um, and support to do that? So that one's a really hard one to get qualified for um, school physical therapy, but that goes for all of the therapies. And that also, sometimes when you have clinical therapy, you get a lot of it. And then that's another thing sometimes parents say, but he's only getting 60 minutes in school. But we also have to think it's not, it's to improve their academic growth and progress. And you don't want your child to miss too much academics by keeping pulled out um, for therapies. So so it's just something to consider. Um, never let them say, though, we're only, we only do 60 minutes. Now, that's a no-no. But if, uh, if, it, if they're making the recommendation based on your individual child, um, it is probably based on um, the goals they're working on and how that will help them academically. And um, a lot of times they are consulting with the other staff too, so that whatever they're doing, they're, cons they're basically teaching the other staff how to help follow through with that during the school day. So we've talked about the initial IEP, everyone coming together, re yeah. reviewing, the, reviewing the assessments, right? And saying these are areas, these are the present levels of performance. These are sort of what the child can do or the student can do. And these are the goals maybe that we're going to have moving yeah, forward and, or proposed And goals. you know what I should do? I should back it up a little bit. So we talked about that eligibility meeting where they go over the evals and does they meet, do they meet the criteria um, of eligibility under, you know, the 13 or 14 that your state has. But then there's one more question because you can meet the um, eligibility criteria and still not get an IEP. You could get a 504 plan because the next question is, does this disability negatively impact the progress um, in general education? So in their academics, does it negatively, because there are actually some children I have had a child with really high functioning autism and it really didn't Im impact his, mm -hmm. his ability to progress in the academic um, curriculum. And he had some social, um, some yeah. social skills things. And maybe when he gets older, those social skill things will impact his academics. Cause as you get older, you might have to work at team projects. You might have to do reports in front of the class, but the child was still younger and actually only got a 504 plan then um, with the disability, with, with um, his eligibility was still autism, but the 504 was just those accommodations. Um, and you can always get reevaluated too um, at, as the child matriculates through their grades, maybe it will impact them differently. But that's that key question that they ask at the end is, does this, is, does this eligibility that child was just found eligible under negatively impact um, their ability to make progress in, um, and it says in general education. So um, then if the answer is yes, they say, great, you're going to get an IEP. <laughs> um, so then uh, they usually set up a meeting. It's typically supposed to be within 30 days, as long as it's still within that 60 day calendar day. But the um, 
the most important thing is that every three years, you will get that whole evaluation thing again every three years. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to have to do all those assessments again because you'll have that assessment planning meeting to determine what do we already know, what do we want to know, and how are we going to get it. Um, and then you can have that evaluation meeting. They actually call it like it's actually to redetermine eligibility. Um, and then they'll have an IEP. Sometimes when it's not the initial, um, they'll actually have that eligibility, the review of evals and the IEP on the same day, because at that time um, they've already, they've already had an IEP. So IEPs are, are not brand new every year. They, they're kind of a, a progression of the IEP. So um, they're living, they're a live document, basically. They can be changed and updated um, at any point that either anyone requires it to be reviewed and, and updated. Yeah, and I think that's important to know, right? You know, the the amount of tests you do, I think you do a lot up front, you know, for the initial when we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what is it? What, <laughs> what's going on? What do we need to, yeah. what, what, what supports do we need to make sure that, you know, students can make progress? And then as you get to know the team, the teachers, the school, the environment, you know, then things sort of settle. But, you know, as students go, they move to middle school or high school or they become transition age where they start transitioning into adult programs, the IEP is going to change. So just families, just so you know, the 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 reevaluation in some places it's called a triannual IEP, yeah. those types of things. Sure. You're going to have big moments throughout the uh, throughout the time that your child is in uh, accessing public education, right? And so there are going to be a couple times where you may have a big meeting and it may take a long time. And I encourage you to bring cookies to those meetings because you may be sitting there for a while, but it's always good to to know that, you know, you're planning ahead. It's not just for today. It's also planning ahead for the next year. So if you're, cha- if you're going from elementary school to middle school over the next year, plan on a, la- a longer meeting to make sure you've got everything documented so that the new team knows everything they need to know about your child. When I am training teachers about writing an IEP, I always tell them, write the IEP as if the child is going to move tomorrow. I want it to be so detailed that if I'm the new teacher tomorrow, I will have a clear picture of who the child is, how they learn, and what their needs are. And I think that really helps teachers kind of reframe how they're writing an IEP because sometimes teachers will have the same child for multiple years. So you almost see less detail because they're like, yeah, I know the kid or he's mine. I'm going to keep, you know, but no, 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 no. Because actually you could move tomorrow, um, but, or the teacher can move tomorrow. So we always want those IEPs to be that detailed. <clears throat> Something else I thought of when you said bring cookies to those long meetings. I love that. Um, I had a parent once bring Um, homemade cookies. It was so lovely. And then she did something that I'll never forget. And I recommend it all the time. Out of her bag, she pulls out this big framed photo of her son with the cutest look on his face. And she just put it right in the middle. And she said, just to remind us all who we're working about or, you know, what, what we're working on today and who it's for. And it was so brilliant because this meeting happened to unfortunately be a contention and, you know, it wasn't going very well, but we had that picture of her beautiful child there. And it, I think it really helped people remember that this is not about adults 
can, you know, it's not about adults' wants and desires. It's about this child. So ever since she did that, I tell parents all the time, I'm like, it was such a beautiful reminder of why you are at the table, right? right. You never want to sidetrack um, the real the real reason why you're at the table is to help this beautiful child to uh, make academic gains. And um, it, it was a great idea. And the, you know, another great point I have for parents, start a binder, create a binder and keep your IEPs in chronological order and um, progress reports in chronological order. Because I'll tell you what this does. Sometimes you're not going to remember every goal. And then you come to the table and everything sounds great. And then you might take a look back at the old one and say, wait a minute. My son had that goal for the last three years. Like to me, if you do see some of that, you want to say, hey, school, what can you do more or different? Because if the child has the same goal for more than one year, it's not working. So let's do something more or different. Um, and that that's always a good bit of advice. And it's just great also to see your child's growth because it is hard sitting at these meetings because unfortunately there is a lot in an IEP that's about what the child can't do because it's about how to help them to do whatever that is better. There is some, you start out with student strengths, so there are strengths in there. Um, and you always want to know the strengths because that'll help you to work on the deficit. But um, sometimes you don't really get to see the growth because those meetings are so, you know, um, heavy on helping the child, like, on their deficit. So it's always really nice to kind of look back and say, wow, man, two years ago, read his present levels and then read his new present levels. Um, so it's a really nice reminder, but it's also great when you walk into an IEP meeting with your binder and you're, you got your notebook and your pen and your picture of your student and cookies, it'll be a great meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used, to, I used to teach second grade and it was a special day class. And one of the things we would do is before the IEP meeting that year, we would revisit the initial IEP or the one from kindergarten just to say, let's just look at the last couple of years and see what's yeah. as in it, what, what's changed, what's different, you know, all sorts of things that happen. So I think it's That's so great. great for parents to be able to do that, to be able to, you know, look backwards a little bit. Don't go all, you don't need to go all the way back, right? Just yeah. a little bit to see, are we going in the right, are we heading in the right direction? And if not, how do we course correct? Sure, and, and when we think about even just children on the spectrum, sometimes they ebb and flow in what works. Um, even if it's a reinforcer or a certain strategy, it might have been great in first grade, and all of a sudden in second grade, they're not responding to it. Let's say it's a, a social break, and in first grade, it works for everything. In second grade, it didn't. But then in third grade, if you're struggling to think of an intervention while you're sitting at the table, and you look back and say, you know what? Using first grade, these things work magic. Let's try that again. Because sometimes a child just, like you said, it's kind of an ebb and flow. And sometimes something works, and then it doesn't work anymore. And then sometimes it'll come back. So you you have that record of the things that really worked um, to, in your back pocket. To say, hey, we've got to try this again. Let's pull this one back out. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, well, you brought up something I, I, I want us to go there, although it's, oh. <laughs> you know, it's a, little tough, it's a little tougher to talk about, but these meetings don't always go smoothly, right? Yeah. Sometimes, 
sometimes parents and and the district don't agree or sometimes don't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. They don't see eye to eye and and I yeah. you know it would be remiss if we didn't discuss what's how how can we get support? What's the role of an advocate? You mentioned lawyers earlier. Who are those people we yeah. can get from and, and what does that look like? So before we even really talk about that, just remember what we said at the beginning, the importance of communication, right? Because I think if you have better communication, even if you're disagreeing on something, it's easier to tell someone you like that you don't agree with them. Um, so that 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 relationship and communication is super important. But if you either don't feel like comfortable being at a meeting without support, because it's just so much information and you don't want to miss anything or or agree to something that you later go oh why did i do that or if you don't agree you already know i don't agree with what they're recommending um then there are advocates um and lawyers so um i have a lot of lawyer friends so i don't want to say i'm i'm as good as a lawyer but but i'm cheaper um so advocates there are some states that have free advocacy um typically you go on your state um board um, of education website to see if there are, because there are some free advocacy and there's actually even some free lawyers, um, not as many, Um, but they can help uh, support you in the process. Um, I have, so I do advocacy and I have families that literally say, can you do all the talking? And I say, oh, you know, like it makes me a little sad. Like I want them to yeah. empower them. I say I have the worst business model because my job in my heart is to teach them how to be the best advocate. Right. Teach them how so, to do yeah. Right. So I'm going to, I'm teach, teaching them me out of a job, but, but, but it makes sense because they're going to be there, their child's whole life. Right. And um, so I really try to give them the tools um, to really be the best advocate. And I'll tell you, I love a virtual IEP meeting. I wish they were around forever because I think the parents actually um, feel more comfortable because they can text message me during. So here I am an advocate. They're at their home. I'm here. They'll text message me a question or it, it just I think they just feel more comfortable. Whereas if you're in the middle of the meeting, even though you have the right to say, can we have a minute and go out in the hall? And it doesn't even have to be a bad minute. It could just be like, whew, that was a lot. I just need a minute. And what did that mean? You know, or it could be, we need a minute. You got in the hall and say, uh-uh, I don't like what was just said. But um, you can always take a pause on an IEP. Even if you say, can we finish this another day? This is a lot. Um, you can even do that. Um, but an advocate can really help support those, kind of those little minute things that are kind of legally you know, legally supposed to be happening that unfortunately sometimes, I mean, I want to say sometimes are overlooked. I, I'm i not saying on purpose, but, um, you know, everyone's got a big caseload, schools are short-staffed, you know, and, and um, even the best human, of, yeah. Right? We're all human. We're all going to make yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I just had an IEP meeting yesterday and an old lawyer friend of mine is now the director of special ed and was at the meeting. And when I brought up like something they forgot to to check off, she says, oh, you are correct, Mo Booty. And then she says, I don't know how I missed that. But um, but it was great because. Exactly. I don't know how I missed it, but guess what? You got it. So we're good now. So it wasn't a contentious thing. But honestly, 
it was something the parents would never have known. I don't think, cause I don't even think I knew it 20 years ago. It took experience and, and going to law classes and going to IEPs and working side by side uh, with, with a few lawyers here in state in the state. Um, but yeah, it, it, it sometimes just gives the parent the comfort of knowing that they can take a deep breath because they have someone by them. I have parents say that they cry at the end of every IEP meeting and it just breaks my heart. Um, I wanted to institute something in Chicago public schools. And I was so bummed they never did it. I felt like every time a child got a new eligibility, so that first meeting we talked about, that initial one, I thought the case manager should put a calendar note in her calendar that says, in three weeks, I'm going to call that mom and ask her, do you or dad, do you have any questions? How are you feeling? Do you need any support? Because you're sitting at that first meeting and you're just like, what? <laughs> like, uh, it's the, and in some cases, it might be the first time you ever even heard that your child might um, be eligible for special ed and, and, and have, um, you know, an educational disability. So it's a lot. And then they just say, okay, great. Bye. Your services will start next week. We'll give you a schedule or something like that. So I always was like, can't we just reach back around and just say, how you doing? Um, so I say to parents, if that doesn't happen, then you feel comfortable to call them and say, I know I was there. I know the meeting was three hours, but what does, and ask the question, what does that mean? Uh, visual schedule, for example, I sometimes as teachers will say, oh, we're going to use first then social story, uh, visual script, and, and you just go. And then the parent can tell them and goes, what is that? So I started bringing samples of stuff to IEP meetings because we just get as educators so used to just saying stuff like that. Like, oh, oh yes, we'll use the first end system or we're going to use the PEC system or we're going to use OGCOM. And parents are like, what? Yeah, so, it's almost like they're learning another language, right? Yes. It's between between the acronyms and all the, the shorthands we use, you know, yes. talk about. And it's okay to say, can you, a, what, what is that? What's first then? And could you show me? And I actually, I wanted to, to say something that a lot of children on the spectrum have a lot of strategies that are very, um, that you can hold, meaning they're like visual strategies, they're um, social stories and all kinds of different things like that. You can ask the school to also send them home to you um, because we all know a child is gonna do better if, they're, if the carryover from home and school is the same, right? So if something's working at home, tell the school. If something's working at school, tell the home and share the magic because that's how our children are gonna make the most gains. Um, so don't ever feel afraid to say, can I have a copy of that visual support so I can use it at home um, and things like that. I think it's so great to have, you know, to have an advocate, even just to answer some of those questions, make sure some of the, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And especially if you're feeling overwhelmed by the situation or you've got a lot happening all at once with the IEP, it, it's nice to have an advocate there to be able to say the things that you maybe don't know how to express or you didn't know you could ask for or whatever. Yeah. The whole thing is complicated. It is. And you know what? Sometimes... <clears throat> A parent might even just get the advocate to review the document ahead of time and give them some input. 
Um, I do that often a lot as well, because sometimes that is all it takes is um, someone to actually just kind of go through the process with them. And then to say, at the end of the meeting, if you go by yourself, if you just have questions after, you can also call an advocate then, excuse me. Um, And you can always call another meeting, right? Now, some states have a law, uh, some states have a mandate that if a parent calls a meeting, you have to have it. And you have to have it like in 30 days or something. I don't know how they do that. Um, I actually think California is one of those states. But Chicago or Illinois, uh, a parent can request an IEP meeting at any time. The only thing we have to do in Illinois is respond in 10 days. That's it. You can respond by saying, no, thank you. Um, But they should have a pretty good reason to say no. And maybe it's, well, we just had one last week. Can we wait to get some new data or You've had five already this month or something like that. So more likely than not, they're going to say yes. Um, so I always write my rationale. So, But know your state's laws, because like I said, some uh, are required if you ask, and some are just required to respond to your request. Another thing it's really important to know, every state is different, a signature on an IEP. I hear parents in Illinois all the time say, well, I'm not signing it. I don't agree. In Illinois, your signature means one thing, attendance at the meeting, period. So um, it doesn't, you can write a dissenting opinion, you can ask for a new meeting, but your signature is not, I agree, disagree. Now in some states, it is. Yeah. So you really want to make sure you know, when you when they ask you to sign, when they pass that sign-on sheet, ask them what, what, what does this mean when I sign it? And if it is to agree with the IEP, then you say, I'll wait to the end of the meeting. Whereas in Illinois, you sign it right away because it doesn't mean anything but attendance. And it even says it on there just for attendance. So make sure you know that in your state. And if it is agreement, ask them, we're going to have to wait to the end of the meeting then because you want to make sure you feel comfortable with, with what's in the IEP. Yeah. And I think it's so important for people, for families to know what you're signing is essentially a contract, right? Yeah. You're saying yeah. that this is what we all all agreeing is what's in the best interest for the student. And so, yeah. so before you sign, you know, to your point, know the difference of signing for uh, consent versus, versus mm-hmm. signing for attendance. The, the IPs that I've seen, it's sign for attendance and then check, there are different check boxes. And one is, I agree to the whole IEP, I agree to parts of the IEP, and then yep. there's some spaces to write notes and things like that. So yep. just know ahead of time. And I think this is something I'm hearing from you a lot, Mo. If you don't know, just ask. And that's certainly okay. It is, it is. And I just, I, I beg parents to feel comfortable to do that. I, I have parents all the time call me right after that initial eligibility with all these questions. And I say, oh, wait, I know the case manager at that school. I'll give you her number. Well, no, I can't ask. I just had a three-hour meeting. She'll think, I'm, she'll think I'm stupid. I'm like, no, this is brand new to you. Even if it's not brand new, it's not your field, right? So no, never feel like you, you should feel comfortable being able to ask any kind of question. And that's why I say that communication, that partnership, because it sure is easier to ask a friend a question, even if you ask them a million, than ask someone you don't even know or don't like. So really get to know the staff, keep keep that relationship um, built and communication, and it'll be so much easier. Um, and again, even if you disagree, 
it's so much easier to disagree with someone that you have a good relationship with. Mo, where can people find uh, more about you and your information and, and be in touch with you? Oh, gosh, thanks. Um, well, my name is Mo Booty, B-U-T-I. So I have a Hotmail account. I know I'm, I'm aging myself, but it's MoBooty at Hotmail.com. Um, I also um, can be found on Facebook. And then I do have a website that's um, AIEPAutism.com. Um, and that stands for Advocate and Instructional Expert for People with Autism. Do you like how I snuck that IEP in the middle? Because that's, <laughs> that's my favorite thing to do is, is yeah. support IEPs, whether I'm helping a teacher, helping a parent, or, or um, an administrator at an IEP meeting. So, um, yeah, those are the places you can find me. Great. And we'll, we'll make sure to put those in the show notes. But Mo, this has been uh, an excellent conversation about a very, very broad topic with lots of nuance and lots of acronyms. And just appreciate your, your time and your insight and your knowledge into this whole IEP world. Awesome. Well, I love helping. So reach out anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you learned a lot from that conversation with Mo. She and I kept talking even after we finished recording. And one of the things we discussed a lot was staying where you are and building your team as opposed to moving your team. The conversation and the question gets asked a lot of, should I move somewhere else to be in a better school district or have a better teacher or uh, be near this principal or things along those lines? And she made a great point of those individuals can change. And so instead of moving for somebody else, Stay where you are, build your team, and really make sure you have a support network that is working with you to meet the needs of your child. And I thought that was really great advice that I wanted to share. It didn't make the actual recording, but I think it's important for everybody to know. In addition to all that, I know that the IEP process is filled with a lot of acronyms and a lot of terminology. And in some ways, it feels like learning a different language. And guess what? When I was first teaching, I felt the exact same way. So I encourage you, pause the team, pause the meeting. Don't be afraid to ask the question. If you're working with an advocate, ask them. If you're working with a teacher or a case manager or program manager, ask them what the terminology means. I wouldn't, I never want anyone to feel, uh, I never want anyone to feel that they're missing out because they don't understand. If you don't agree, that's fine. If you don't understand, that's different. So make sure that you're getting the information that you need and that you have clarity about what's happening during the meetings, before the meetings, after the meetings. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or other feedback, feel free to send us an email at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. And please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care, be safe. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.